Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. All right, Patrick, here we are, man. I've been really excited about this opportunity to record the first episode of the Hanu Health podcast. Did you do any fun like prep work, like a, as in like body prep or mind prep? Like, do you do anything like that before podcasts or do you kind of just like jump on in and kind of like whatever happens, happens? I think just whatever happens, happens. So because if we plan too much, where is it going to go? And it's uh, no, it's nice to keep it fluid. So, yes, that's where it's at. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that I'm always curious about people who do a lot of podcasting. I'm always wondering, like, are they like doing a lot of like, I don't know, meditation or prep work or maybe, you know, a shot of whiskey or something before they get on just to calm the nerves? I don't I don't know. Because like for me, like I've done so many podcasts, but for I, I just get like really amped up before them because I it's not nerves. It's like excitement. It's like my sympathetic nervous system turns on and says like, oh, man, like you're about to have a lot of fun. Let's get Get you in the go zone. And so like I've tried to do like some more, you know, slow diaphragmatic breathing prior to podcasts, but I find that it's not nearly as exciting as like amping myself up. So I just didn't know if you like love to do some like low and slow breathing prior to podcasting. If you're just like, nah, let's just jump right on in. Yeah, no, it's a different story now. If I was going on stage and uh, you've got two or three hundred people in front of you, then I have a preparation. That's what I work with. Um, yeah, podcasts are just allowed to happen, but it really is. I suppose it depends. It depends on energy levels, depends on sleep quality the night before, depends on how you're feeling, it depends on workload. So we we all know that we want to get to that state where it's optimum delivery. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Last night, uh, my son has been doing this thing where, for some reason, my oldest like he wants to wake up at like one and three a.m. like two different times, and then just like start calling for dad and mom. And uh, I was like, kid, I was like, kid, I've got an early podcast. Like, I didn't tell him this, but I was thinking in my head. And so, like, when I woke up this morning, I was like, okay, like, do I need to do a little bit more to like revive some energy? But no, nah, man, I got ready for the podcast, and I'm I'm good to go. But yeah, prior to going on to like stage or doing something that where you'll either be in front of a lot of people or you'll just be kind of in like this high intense situation, like you know, may call for different means of of self regulation for sure. There's one thing about self regulation. You always know it's there if you want to tap into it. Love it. Yeah. And it must be it must be worse when somebody is going into a situation and they don't have any resources to fall back on. But I suppose if they don't have the awareness of where they are at in the first instance, and if you're working with the Brett, if you're working with HRV, you kind of get an idea of where you're at. And you know if you want to amp it or if you want to downregulate. So you, you have the tools at your disposal anyway. 
pretty good tools to have, regardless of the situation, huh? It's a, it's, it's a beautiful way of putting it. I, I like to always conceptualize it in terms of having the ability to self-regulate is a matter of means of control over the nervous system at any given moment. And it's something that I think that we're innately built into us, uh, but we lose it, uh, whether, and I won't say lose it, I should say we disconnect from it. And the reason we disconnect from it is because of all of these compounding life stressors, all these things that can get in our way. But if we kind of reunite with our ability to to exercise control and utilize these tools at will, I think that is a prime means for success for us as, as, a, as human beings and helping to better regulate our stress response. And it's really going to be a lot of what we focus on this podcast. So, hey, I'm glad that you already jumped right into it, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like, I suppose if you think of the number of people in the corporate world, the number of people in media, and they're going into a situation and oftentimes panic takes over. And they don't have the means. Like this, this, this has been pretty much overlooked for decades. Now there's some attention on it now because of technology, and people are getting more into it. You know, it really is. It's it's a key survival mechanism in today's modern world to be able to alter your states. And um, yeah, so that's where the conversation is going to be going. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And you know, I always and again, I'm close to it. You're close to it, but I still just see this as the lowest hanging fruit for health and well being. And it's something that is far too often overlooked. I mean, we have a lot of uh, uh, you know today's society who's looking for like what is the quickest, most effective way. But that tends to be like them leaning towards supplements or medications or, you know, whatever else it may be, biohacking. And it's not to say that some of these things can't be great as adjunctive type modalities or therapies, but really what's the most efficient and easiest way, the lowest hanging fruit, is us being much more in tune and aware with our body. We refer to this as, as inter interoception. And then also, too, it is tapping in to, again, the closest thing that we have as human beings to a direct connection to our nervous system, which is breathing and breath work. And so if we can get anything across kind of within the context of this podcast is that we're not writing off all of these ways of health optimization through biohacking, through, you know, whatever means it may be, but we're just saying like, Hey, let's start with the very basic foundation of what it means to be a, a human, which is breathing and self-regulation. And we'll use that as a kind of our baseline. That's kind of the foundation of the pyramid. And then we'll build on top of it. So with that said, I love that we've already kind of just do dove straight into the deep end. Uh, well, really not the deep end. That's more like the shallow end. We'll dive into the deep end. Uh, welcome, everybody. Again, first episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. Um, if you don't know who we are just yet, I'm going to provide an introduction to myself, and then I'll let Patrick provide an introduction to himself. But my name is Dr. Jay Wiles. I am the Chief Scientific Officer of Hanu Health, and I am a clinical health and performance psychologist, which is a fancy schmancy way of saying that I work with people who have dysregulated nervous systems and are really not uh, the greatest at managing stress. And unfortunately, that typically just ends up being a lot of us in modern day society. I know here in the States, it's really bad, but it's bad everywhere. So I don't want to just say it's here in the U.S., uh, but my goal um, kind of in, in life in general is to really help people to identify, use, and overcome stress. Uh, and again, that's going to be a primary focus of this podcast. It's kind of our motto, if, I, if you will. 
But it's really the intent of saying, I need to become better aware of my stress response. I need to be able to use stress when needed because stress is not just this bad thing, this ominous kind of dark cloud that covers us, uh, but it can actually be quite useful. And then uh, also too, it can be quite deleterious. It can be quite negative to our health. So how do we overcome it? And that is kind of my goal. So my background, again, human stress performance, uh, human stress response, psychophysiology, and then also too, I'm a, a subject matter expert expert in heart rate variability. So a lot of my clinical practice, a lot of my consultative practice with my firm is in the field of heart rate variability as a biometric or proxy for the human nervous system and human stress response. And then I also work with just a lot of individuals, whether it be those from uh, the, the kind of corporate world, the high performers, high level CEOs, all the way down to just to the individual who's like, listen, I need some better help in regulating my stress response, which again is very diverse. It could be just about anybody. And, you know, we wanted to to really start this podcast as just kind of a good primer and a place to start to say, like, I need help with stress. I am not doing well on that end. I need to become more adaptive, more resilient to stress. And so we wanted to get this thing going. So I could, you know, drone on and on about myself, but I also want Patrick, you now to introduce yourself. So take it, take it, my friend. Sure. I work with breathing. I've done so for 20 years. My background was working mainly with people with asthma and then with anxiety and panic disorder, sleep apnea and uh, working with children and adults and also then bringing it into high performance. So my goal, I suppose, is really to get the awareness out there about breathing, going a little bit deeper, showing people really what the application is about the breath. I think it's been an area that has been absolutely overlooked and for in the most part has been taught incorrectly that the user has not got the full potential from changing breathing patterns because the instruction that was often imparted um, was was not really, I would say, you know, true or powerful to to really give the the user the full potential of it. So yeah, I think there's a great, there's a, a massive potential in terms of changing your breathing patterns. And it's not just about taking that deep breath. And there's a few misconceptions out there, I'm sure as well, we'll be tapping on to how to breathe to open up your airways, your blood vessels, increase oxygen delivery, um, upregulate, downregulate, improve your sleep, you know, in terms of asthma, what to expect and different health conditions. But, you know, that's what it's about. Simple breathing exercises that can be used by anybody from a young child, four, year, four years of age, right up to an elderly person. Yeah, indeed. I I love that you already kind of hit on kind of how we're going to discuss and dispel some of the myths around breathing because they're there. And, you know, what's great, I mean, because of the work that you've done, you know, the work of James Nestor, like breathing is really in the spotlight right now. And the problem is, is that a lot of people are coming out of the woodworks and they're providing kind of their own um, conception or their own kind of ideology around breathing and breath work. And so there's just a lot. It's very similar to like heart rate variability training. When it first came out, like people were super interested in it and there was kind of only one or two theories or ideas behind it and then kind of like it exploded and then there was just like a thousand different theories and so people got really confused. They're like, well, I'm hearing one thing from one person, I'm hearing the other from the next. So like, what is true? What does science have to say about it? Like, what do we see as kind of like being kind of a more clear path as opposed to kind of like woo-woo fringy science? And so I, I would love to jump into some of those things in this podcast just because there are so many people that write out to me, I'm sure they write out to you, Patrick, and they ask all these questions. And we're we're kind of like, 
man, yeah, there's just a, a lot of people who are lost and kind of knowing, you know, what to do, when to do, why to do it and where to do it type thing. And so I'm sure that uh, you and I will, will have a blast kind of uncovering those things. The other thing that I must mention too, uh, if you have not checked out any of Patrick's books, so Patrick is, uh, and I don't, I know you didn't mention this, Patrick, so I'll, I'll brag on you a little bit. Uh, but he wrote uh, the Oxygen Advantage. He also wrote the Breathing Cure. And uh, is, is Atomic Focus uh, officially out yet, or am I speaking too soon? And we need our editor <laughs> to, to knock that out of here. No, no, it's out. It's out. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, uh, it's out about a month or so. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't jumping the gun and <laughs> we'd have to go back in reverse and have somebody edit it out. Uh, but yeah, so author of those books, which I have read all of them, and they are phenomenal. Um, so if you haven't checked those out, we'll link it in the show notes, which again can be, I actually haven't even provided that link. It's at hanuhealth.com slash one, because this is episode one. Again, that's hanu, which is H-A-N-U health.com slash one. So I want to take just a little bit of time to provide, we kind of already did this, but I, I wanted just to spend a little bit more focused time talking about just kind of a description of who we are as, as a podcast, who we are as a company. Uh, the great thing that I have the privilege of doing is introducing you all to the world of Hanu Health. Um, the one problem or downside I have to it is that for at least a while, I'm going to have to be fairly cryptic in what we are doing. But what I can tell you is that we are in the field of health psychology and we are, uh, sorry, I would say health technology. And then we are also, and health psychology is very much interconnected with what we're doing, but we also too um, are really focused on branding ourselves as kind of the go-to uh, as a company, um, as individuals, and as a podcast for stress resiliency and adaptation. And it's not to say that there aren't other great avenues for stress resiliency and adaptation, but we are focusing on how can we leverage uh, health technology uh, to be kind of the forerunners uh, in helping people to overcome uh, stress and to identify stress and to use stress when needed. And so uh, again, a little bit more cryptic than what people probably want, uh, but I will leave you all with bated breath. Uh, what you can actually do if you are really interested and what we have going on, I would really invite you to join our mailing and waitlist. You can head on over to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. That's hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. And what you get with that privilege is number one, you are going to get access to our newsletter. You're also going to get access to kind of like the first people to know about what's going on with this company. And should we provide something out there, um, uh, we will provide <laughs> incentives and promotions for it. And you'll be kind of like first on the list to, to get what we have coming out. So so again, hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. So I want to discuss now the format of the podcast. So Patrick is going to be joining me um, as the co-host of this podcast for our Q&A episodes. We're going to do uh, about one a month for now, um, where again, you're going to be able to write us and ask us anything you want about stress resiliency, about breathing, about human optimization, which obviously though, we're going to again, focus more on that stress resiliency and adaptation uh, component. And so if you have questions, questions for us, head on over to hanuhealth.com slash podcast. That's hanuhealth.com slash podcast. And feel free to write us and ask us anything you'd like. And hopefully we will get to your question here on one of our podcasts. And uh, can you know, you can provide you know, not just help for you as the person asking the question, but also provide help to every listener here. So again, that's going to be kind of the, the format when Patrick is here. And then when it's just me, which is going to be uh, the podcast that's going to 
going to be released every other Friday, and I should say every Friday. I meant other as in not the Q&A podcast. Every single Friday, I'm going to be interviewing the leading guests in their respective fields on the uh, subject matter of breathing stress resiliency, human optimization, and performance. And we're really going to just get a diverse group of individuals here. And this is going to consist of the advisors that are a part of Hanu Health as a company, but also to just individuals that are really passionate about helping to improve the health and well-being of others. And again, like we're going to focus on how kind of their modality, how their background is really important and effective in stress adaptation and stress resiliency. So with that said, uh, one of the fun things that I wanted to do with you, Patrick, uh, because I think that, and we were talking off air about this just a minute ago, is a lot of people are very curious about what our own daily practices are. Um, So what are the things that we do as a part of our daily routine, um, and especially in our respective fields? So again, me as an expert in heart rate variability and the human stress response with breathing as a component of that, and you as a breathing expert, like what are our actual like normal daily practices? So I've been talking for a while, so I won't go first. I'll actually let you go, Patrick. But I would uh, I was wondering if you could just break down like what is it that you do in terms of, you know, health practices, but even especially so uh, the, the breathing practices on a daily basis. Yeah, it's, I suppose breathing for me, I have to bring it into my way of life. Um, back in the early noughties, I used to do formal practice every day, set time aside and I could get an hour in, 90 minutes in it per day. Nowadays, I don't do it so much formally. Um, probably workload is, is very high, but I bring it in with physical exercise. And I also, I think it's really important for all of us to take our attention out of the mind and onto the breath and slow down breathing at different parts throughout the day. I remember doing a Vipassana course going back about 15 years ago, And I was kind of, you know, intrigued. There were people there. I was working at it. After you do a couple of courses, you can be working in the kitchens and assisting. And uh, I was intrigued. Some people had wonderful posture and they had all the robes and the paraphernalia and they looked absolutely wonderful. And I was saying, these people really looked the part of meditation. And next thing is, when we went into the kitchen, they were all over the place. And I couldn't help wondering, how come they're able to practice it so well in a formal setting? And the benefits of that should carry over to when they're not practicing it. But for these people, it, it, it wasn't happening that way. So for me, it's really important to take attention out of the breath, out of the mind and onto breathing and slow it down. And if I'm doing physical exercise, it's always in and out through the nose. I'll do my normal warm up routine. I'll do some breath holds to, to lower blood oxygen saturation. I wear tape on my mouth and people might say, well, why on earth does he have to wear tape in his mouth 20 years later? That's just the way it is. I suppose it made such a big difference to my own sleep and I just kept going with it. And as a result, then it's my own crutch. So yeah, taping my mouth is one thing I do every single night. It's kind of weird, but uh, but it works for me. And as soon as I put the tape on, I start feeling sleepy and I'm heading up. Man, you're conditioned, man. Yeah, it's 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 one of those trigger responses, you know. <laughs> and uh, last night I had Leaf HRV and I was doing a bit of experimentation while just watching some stuff on TV. And you know what? That's breath work is, is part of me. So, uh, yeah. And the other thing, Jay, is how on earth are we expecting people to bring this into their way of life? You know, people are so busy. People have to do physical exercise. 
They have to do breath work. They have to do this. They have to do that. Um, whereas the one thing about breath is that you can you have it with you all day long. All you have to do is tap into it. And even if you're tapping into it for five minutes, it's still a lot better than nothing at all. No, it's it's so true because, again, we all live fast-paced lifestyles. And, I mean, if you're anything like... You know, myself, I've got two boys, you know, I'm running, you know, business, doing a lot of education, podcasting. And so like things can can really get packed in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have time in my schedule and I'm not going to expect anybody else that I'm working with to a lot, you know, an hour, two hours you know, to, to breathing practice. It's just not sustainable. And so I don't want to, you know, get people started on something like that or even necessarily promote something like that because people are going to become really frustrated and discouraged if they try to implement, you know, an hour worth of breathing practice or breath work, and then just feel like, oh my goodness, look at me, another thing that I'm failing out, I'm not succeeding. And then guess what? Their stress response is turned on, and then they feel the deleterious effects of that. And so I'm like, I don't really kind of want to, you know, provide something that is supposed to be helpful to then cause stress. So I'm I'm totally there, there with you. So for you, it sounds like, Patrick, that, you know, you did a lot of that kind of, you know, hour, you know, set aside formal practice before. But now the, the, you see kind of a lot of benefit in kind of conditioning the nervous system and conditioning breath work kind of throughout the day, um, kind of whenever, you know, it, it becomes more interoceptive and you kind of sense the need for it or you become aware of it as opposed to just saying like, okay, I've got, you know, etched in my calendar. I wake up at 6 a.m. and then I start a, you know, hour long breath practice. Is that right? Yeah. No, there's one thing that I need to get in every day and it's physical exercise. So I got it in today. Yesterday I wasn't able to get it in um, just with, with workload. If I can get in a half an hour to an hour of physical exercise every day, bring in breath work into that. And then at different times throughout the day is to merge with my own breathing. Or if I've got downtime in the evening, focus my attention on the breath. And, you know, for me, it's not just about paying attention to breathing, but it's altering breathing. It's not just about mindfulness, but it's actually changing breathing patterns to change states. And as I said, it's a great tool that you can always fall back on. And, you know, it came up in a conversation earlier on, like people are probably saying, well, how do I know if it's for me or how do I know if I'm stressed or how do I know what exercise to put into practice or what benefits can I get? You know, the very basic starts with nose breathing. And for me, that was a game changer, both during the day, during physical exercise, um, during sleep. And I'm not an athlete by any means of the, the imagination. And nor am I a yogi. And nor am I the most serene person in the world. Um, we're all human beings. And it, it really, I suppose, it gives us a sense of calmness and an ability to have control over the mind as well. And if we want to have control over the mind and to create gaps between thoughts and enter flow states and to have the energy levels that we really need to be productive, we need to tap into the breath. And, you know, I think that's where it's at. And it has been overlooked, Jay. And that's what your podcast is going to be great at helping to get it out there. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I, you know, it's 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 a great take home point. Like if anybody like is like, okay, so what's the practical take home point right here? Uh, it's number one, like if you take away anything from this, you know, first podcast, at least for right now, because I think we got a lot of great nuggets that we'll get into when we get to the Q&A. It's just number one, being more aware of the breath. And then number two, like just try to switch over to nasal breathing. Uh, and so many people don't realize, especially if they're like someone like me. So I do a lot of talking throughout the day. I'm on 
on the phone a lot. I'm on calls a lot. I mean, I'm podcasting right now. It's really easy for me to get into the habit of just kind of breathing through my mouth and not breathing through my nose. And I can even, you know, sense myself doing it right now, even when I'm podcasting. And that's something that I have to be aware of. I have to focus on. And it's, you know, one of the things that I'm going to commit to, you know, continue to work on. But I think that if people can just really focus on how can I switch from mouth breathing to nasal breathing only, it's just an extremely low hanging fruit. And, uh, and you know, I know it's, you're, you're a huge proponent of that. I know that James Nestor, obviously a huge proponent of that is just switching to the, na- to, to the nasal pathway. Yeah, but maybe people are asking though, uh, why? You know, I remember I was at a, a, medic- a medical conference in Chicago going back, I don't know, it's about five or six years ago professor of medicine stood up and he said that it doesn't make any difference whether you breathe through your nose or whether you breathe through your mouth that's simply not the case you know if we talk about human beings what does the mouth do in terms of breathing is there any function that the mouth does you know if you stand in front of a mirror open your mouth look into your mouth and ask what part of the mouth is engaging with the breath and the answer is none so the mouth has absolutely no function whatsoever it's simply a hole And it's a hole whereby air can go straight down your throat into your lungs. The mouth has no purpose and the nose has all of the purposes. And I suppose, Jay, there's purposes here that we haven't even given credit for. You know, there was a study that came out in Israel 2020. Visuospatial awareness um, is more effective with nasal breathing than mouth breathing. Memory and attention span is more effective with nasal breathing than mouth breathing. We select our mates, our partners based on nasal breathing and a sense of scent. And also there's a primordial fear response, sniffing out danger. That's not sniffing out through the mouth, of course, because the mouth doesn't sniff, but it's through the nose. So there's something innate and something highly intelligent about the human nose and how connected the nose is to the brain, that it's also there to protect us. And socially, you know, how did society regard mouth breeders? Well, they regarded them as pretty stupid people and unintelligent. I can say this because I was a mouth breeder for 20 years. So don't feel, don't worry, I'm not insulting anybody listening to me. If you have your mouth open, this is not directly aimed at you. Everybody just closed their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, well, it's one reason. It's great. <laughs> um, and, you know, for sleep and for dental health. And, you know, if you have your mouth open, you're breathing upper chest and you're more likely to be in that hyperarousal or stress response. Mouth breathing reduces oxygen uptake in the blood. You don't get optimal movement of the diaphragm. And it just looks pretty dumb anyway. It so does. There's plenty of reasons. Nose breathing is where it's at. You know, I, we, my, my oldest son is three and a half. And one of the things that we've been working with him, because, you know, I, I'll catch him, like if he's sitting on the couch or, you know, and again, I, I don't want to make it, I don't want people to call like, you know, you know, uh, DSS on me or child protective services thinking like I'm abusing my kid because I'm watching him do this. But I've, I'll just notice, you know, every once in a while, like he'll be watching TV and the mouth will just be kind of wide open. And he's just really not focusing kind of on his breathing through his nose. Like, it's just kind of like the mouth's open, he's breathing through his mouth. And so like some of the times I'll just kind of go over to him and he knows what's coming. Like when I start this sentence and I always look at him, I'm like, Hey buddy. I'm like, Hey, remember what we said? Mouths are for what? And he'll be like, mouths are for eating and noses are for 
breathing. And uh, it's always funny because like, we'll just say that every once in a while. But even him just like learning that statement um, has him more focused on it. Um, and he'll say, you know, uh, noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating. And I think that that I know it's very simplistic. And but I don't think it's an oversimplification, right? I mean, it's that's how it is. Like the only time really I find myself mouth breathing is if I am engaged in super high intensity exercise. So if I'm doing HIIT training, like if I, you know, am running, you know, 10 plus miles and I'm doing, you know, let's say like a seven minute mile, you know, sub seven minute mile, like I might find myself later on, like every once in a while engaging in a, in a mouth breath, but not that often, even still, I've been trying to really train myself. But I, I've noticed that if you want to significantly reduce sports performance, if you want to significantly increase stress, if you want to significantly reduce cognitive and, uh, performance and optimization, breathe through your mouth, like just breathe through your mouth and you will f- suffer the negative effects of all of those. And again, we're going to jump in more of to kind of, you know, what's, what's happening physiologically, uh, because I know question one really hits on kind of the nasal breathing aspect, but, you know, I think it's just a, a great reminder, um, that just because, you know, we might have, uh, been reconditioned to do something different than what we're innately born to do, uh, doesn't mean that we can't kind of find our way back home and really, uh, really come back to, to kind of what we have been built and evolved to do in, in terms of breathing. So, uh, with that, with that said, I'm actually just wondering, Patrick, uh, for you, like when you exercise and you're nasal breathing, um, are you normally doing like endurance work or like strength or resistance training? Like what does that look like for nasal breathing? Yeah, it's typically treadmill. Um, nothing too fancy, just uh, going for a jog, going for a run and upping the gears and then, you know, moving down through the gears. I always will maintain nasal breathing. So pretty much and my nose is battered, um, you know, growing up in a tough town in, in Ireland, you, you get knocks as you're growing up. Yeah. So I don't have the perfect shaped nose either. So sometimes I'll wear a nasal dilator, which will help open up the nose. And it's really your ability to nasal breathe during physical exercise is influenced by a couple of things. One is the length of your bedtime time and how you breathe during rest, how you breathe during sleep and the size of your airway as well. So if you have, for example somebody who's mouth breathing during sleep, there are six or eight hours that they are breathing hard and fast. And that can impact their breathing during physical exercise. And also how they are breathing during the day is going to influence how you breathe during physical exercise. So when you're talking about endurance, endurance exercise, um, you know, we should be thinking about breathing efficiency and we should be thinking about breathing economics and understanding what's the optimal way to breathe in order to enhance gas exchange from the lungs into the blood and also for for oxygen to be delivered from the blood to the tissues. So nasal breathing, I suppose, Jay, is somewhere where everybody can start during physical exercise. And uh, yeah, bring a tissue with you the first few times you're going to do it. Your nose (laughs) is going to run. You've been forewarned. Um, So bring your tissue and just bear in mind that the air hunger that you experience when you first switch to nose breathing is going to be a little bit stronger. This is normal. And this just means that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. It's not that your oxygen levels have dropped because in actual fact, when you breathe through your nose during physical exercise, there's increased oxygen delivery from the blood to the tissues. And even though you are feeling air hunger, your body is going to be better oxygenated. The reason being is because the air hunger signifies the carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. And then when you look at the role of carbon dioxide, it's a catalyst for the release of oxygen from the red blood cells to the tissues and organs. So don't worry about the air hunger. 
but don't push yourself at an intensity that it's absolutely excruciating. It's not about forcing air in and out through the nose. It's about comfortable breathing, maintaining nasal breathing and letting your nose dictate the intensity of exercise that you you perform. Hey, Jay here. Hate to interrupt this show, but I have to tell you about our amazing sponsor for today's episode. Yeah, it's Hanu Health. That's H-A-N-U Health, my company. And I've got good news and I've got bad news. So the bad news is, is that I'm going to have to be quite cryptic for a while as to what we're building. But what I can say is that it is in the space of health technology and it's going to be revolutionary. Just think about this show. You have myself, who is an expert in heart rate variability, and Patrick, who is an expert in breath work. And he is one of our primary advisors. Hmm... And what's the good news? Well, even though you have no idea about what the company is offering as a product, we are offering an exclusive VIP waiting list so that you can be the first to know about it. Not only will you reserve your spot in line, you will also gain access to our informative newsletter. We will update you on where we are as a company and provide special incentives and promotions. All you need to do is go to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. That is hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. I promise you will not want to miss out on what is to come. We are building the biohacker's dream, but it will be useful for every human being on this planet. I'm, I'm not even speaking in hyperbole. I'm serious. Every human could benefit from what we are making. So again, head on over to hanuhealth.com slash waitlist to get your spot now, and I will just, you know, leave you with bated breath. <laughs> now back to some killer Q&A. You know, one of the interesting things when I started nasal breathing while exercising, which been it's been a few years now, uh, one of the first things is, is I didn't realize how often I was breathing from my mouth when I was going on a run. I mean, even a, in a really easy like zone two heart rate run, like I was almost solely breathing through my mouth and I never realized that until I started focusing on that. And the other thing that I think that was probably even, even more interesting is that I would take these, uh, you know, I would take these breaths through the nose. This was again when I was transitioning from from mouth breathing to nasal breathing during, you know, a workout. I would take these breaths through the nose and I would be so hyper focused on how stressful it was. Like I'd be like, "Oh my goodness, this is the hardest thing ever. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do it." And then I was like, "Jay, like utilize kind of the skills you know about like fully embracing and being in the moment and just allowing because my body was tensing up. Like I was, you know, my throat was tensing up, my nasal pathways were tensing up. And so I allowed myself just to really relax into what I was doing, knowing that, yes, it's difficult. It's like if anybody's ever done, let's say like, you know, a CO2 table or like a breath hold table, like it can feel excruciating at times, you know, to hold your breath. You know, this is different. What we're talking about now, there is benefit to holding your breath while running, but we won't jump into that just yet. But one of the things that I just kind of really said is like, it's kind of like that old notion of like embrace the suck, just allow yourself to adapt, allow yourself to kind of just be in the moment to be right there connected to it. And things got a lot easier. And again, I think the best benefit I found is that performance increased. Uh, and I didn't feel like after a run, like I would get into you know, to my office. I normally kind of come into my office after I shower and like my mouth and throat would be so incredibly dry. And like, I would just feel like, like cooped out for the rest of the day. Like I couldn't do anything. I'm like, I just feel like I've expended all this energy, got a dry mouth, dry throat. Uh, and I don't feel like energized or vitalized 
which it's so funny because now when I do that, if I go out for a 10 mile run nowadays, like I, I will come back and I will actually feel just pumped up and ready to go, uh, which is very different than when I was mouth breathing and running. Is that something you've heard from like athletes? Like have they had a similar experience to what I've had there? Yeah, many, many. It's a very common feature. People say the recovery is much better, that after finishing physical exercise, that they often feel like they could go back out again. Um, you know, this is, as well as the most simplest thing, we have to think about our ancestors. And you hear all of the stories that, you know, say, for example, we were in a very hot environment. And one of the rituals for a boy when he was to become a hunter was to take a mouthful of water and to run a distance and to get reach the destination and spit out the mouthful of water and you could think well this is kind of this is kind of a strange ritual but then again is it really that strange because if we went for a run in a very hot environment we are going to be very dehydrated quickly and it could spell life or death so you know our ancestors were innate nasal breeders the animal kingdom are innate nasal breeders with the exception of a dog which just uses its mouth to regulate body temperature but of all species, human beings are the only ones that have forgotten about the importance of breathing through the nose. But when you look at the skulls of human beings going back maybe, you know, centuries ago, you will, all, you will always be able to determine that they were nasal breeders by virtue of the development of their head and their maxilla, which is their top jaw, because basically they were mouth closed, tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, and this helped to direct forward growth of the jaws and a wide facial structure, which is conducive to nasal breathing. So we know throughout our evolution that the nose is where it was at. It has got lost. I think, Jay, it just hasn't got a whole lot of attention, with the exception of a few sports medicine scientists. One would be um, George Dallum from i think it's evansville university in the united states he's pretty interested in it and he has put this to the test with 10 recreational athletes he got them to breathe through their nose for six months and he measured their efficiency after six months of nasal breathing and pretty much they were able to maintain 100 percent of their work rate intensity with nasal breathing as with mouth breathing but they had 22 percent less ventilation now this is interesting because, and also the fraction of expired oxygen was less with nasal breathing. The respiratory rate was reduced with nasal breathing. I think it was 39 breaths per minute versus 49 breaths per minute. Carbon dioxide was higher in the blood, but nose breathing was 44 millimeters of mercury versus 40 with mouth breathing. So there's, there's an efficiency here. If you can do the same physical exercise with 22% less ventilation, that's an economical saving because there's a there's an energy cost associated with breathing, and for endurance athletes, it must really be you know attractive, um or a promising potential here, and yeah, it would be great to see more research. But like coming back to it, it is tough at the start. Go a little bit slower, and the air hunger diminishes after about five or six weeks. If you do all of your physical exercise, breathing in and out through your nose you'll soon be able to maintain a pretty decent intensity with nasal breathing as with mouth breathing. But all of those things that Jay spoke about, you, you'll have a better recovery, your, your mouth is moist, even dental health, which is poor, and it can be poor amongst runners. And it can be related to the distances that they run every week, because of course, a dry mouth is more conducive to dental cavities, gum disease, and bad breath. So, uh, so for the sake of that, 
let's get the mouth closed. <laughs> right. So again, if you if you haven't been sold on at least some of the effects of nasal breathing, then I'm not sure what else we can tell you. So <laughs> that's that's what we have there. I wanted to uh, wrap uh, up this section here, just talking a little bit about kind of what I do on a normal basis as well. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it rather quick. Uh, but you know, again, like the people ask me, like, do you practice heart rate variability training? Do you track heart rate variability? Do you breath work every single day? And the question, I mean, the answer to that is yes, I do every one of those things every single day. But uh, very similar to you, Patrick, um, I just do not have the time to a lot, you know, an hour, two hours worth of practice anymore, like I used to. Um, so kind of actually pre kids uh, was when I had the ability to, you know, sit down and do a lot more, you know, focused meditation, focused breath work, focused heart rate variability training. And, uh, I, and I still like to do that every once in a while. But for me, I have found that again, the lowest hanging fruit has been um, number one, uh, being more just aware of kind of when my body is experiencing a stress response. So again, I use the word interoception a fair amount, which again is being much more aware of the physiological responses to stress within the body itself. So I'm very alert of when my heart rate increases. I'm very alert when I uh, uh, hold muscular tension, especially in my shoulders and in my traps and in my neck. Uh, and then also too, I'm just also very aware of my galvanic skin response. So when my hands start to become a little bit clammy, when I start to sweat, a little bit more. And again, like I have uh, utilized mechanisms to become a lot more interoceptive, such as number one, training, and number two, uh, utilizing either biometric, you know, data points and wearables. These things have been really helpful. But the great thing is now is that I've become my own biofeedback machine. Um, and, and, and I love that kind of concept of kind of like, you know, still continuing to leverage technology, but also kind of being kind of the first alert system within the body to recognize when, when stress has kind of hit the fan. And I can pretty much uh, without fail notice when I'm stressed, throw on a heart rate monitor or, or something that is uh, assessing for heart rate variability and be pretty close to kind of guessing where I'll be in terms of biometrics. And again, that's just me learning my body. Now, uh, I do check heart rate variability every single morning. So I'll throw on a Polar H10 chest strap and I'll check heart rate variability just from a sports performance perspective, but also too from an orthostatic baseline perspective, just to kind of see like how well I've recovered over the night. And and also to kind of what I'm primed for, for the day. And I don't use this, like I love to kind of uh, uh, both integrate the subjective experience of stress and objective data together. I never try to single out one and say, well, oh, my objective data, my HRB says this. So therefore my day is now dictated based solely on this data. No, I say, well, how do I subjectively feel? Uh, and then how can I then combine that with the objective data? And that's one thing that I really like to drive home for people who are listening to this podcast who are interested in heart rate variability and, and, and the human stress response is to say that you do not need to solely dictate everything you're going to do on biometric data. It's very helpful. It's very informative. It's a great proxy. But what's even more of a proxy is how do you subjectively feel? And then we take that information, we combine it with the objective data, and then we make the decisions on how we're going to kind of uh, ba basically focus our day. So if I notice that I'm stressed, I wake up stressed, you know, my heart rate variability is lower, then, you know, I'll engage in more breath work throughout the day, more heart rate variability training throughout the day. And it's typically, like you mentioned, Patrick, more informal practice. So I'll go throughout the day and just really focus on low, slow breathing, 
um, kind of uh, increasing um, kind of the, the, the time duration or the cadence of breathing. So slow it down. Uh, and then also too, just focus on doing some breath holds as well. I find that that is probably single-handedly the biggest de-stressor for me. And I know a lot of people ask, well, like how long do you hold your breath? Like you're doing like, you know, minute, two minute breath holds. And the answer is no. I mean, for me, it's typically anywhere from about 10 to 15 seconds is my sweet point for stress reduction. I'll hold for about that long. And for me, now it just eases the mind. I'll do that for about five minutes or so, maybe three to five minutes. And I just find that it is such a great reset to my day, such a great reset to what I'm doing. And so that's kind of my, my, my go-to now I mean, there's some, you know, reduced cadence breathing five second. I mean, sorry, uh, uh, like a, a five breath per minute, six breath per minute, uh, cadence of breathing, uh, doing some breath holds. And then also too, like you said, Patrick exercise. So I do a lot of zone two training. So if people aren't familiar with zone two, I know that Dr. Peter Atia talks a lot about this. Um, he had a guy on his podcast called uh, Inigo San Milan, who is a researcher in zone two, but it's basically a low heart rate, um, low intensity level of exercise that is supposed to help with cellular respiration and mitochondrial functioning uh, and is much more of a uh, aerobic instead of anaerobic type exercise. Um, so for me, I do that about three times a week, um, four times a week, and then I do that nasal breathing only. So I keep my heart rate generally around 150 to 155 ish. Uh, and again, that's kind of right at the point to where it becomes fairly uncomfortable to nasal breathe. Um, if I go above like a, you know, a 160 in heart rate, then I just know number one, I'm out of zone two heart rate. And then I'm also, uh, it, it just becomes increasingly difficult to nasal breathe. So that's what I use. I mean, I have a heart rate monitor that I wear, but I utilize that kind of as a, as a, pr- a predominant proxy. And then the other thing that I do um, on a normal basis that's really a part of kind of, I guess, my my level of expertise uh, is, is that I do heart rate variability training. Um, and again, I used to do it for long periods of time, uh, but now I just do it for short periods of time. So I'll either put on a device or a lot of times, again, I have, you know, the access to, to really, you know, research grade, clinical grade equipment here at my office. And so I'll hook myself up and do some heart rate variability training. And a lot of people ask, okay, so what does that actually like look like practically? And it really what it is, is it's utilizing and leveraging technology, watching heart rate variability as the main proxy for nervous system change, and then just changing breathing and changing breathing patterns, slowing down breathing, um, and nasal breathing only. And so I, I find those again, as being like my lowest hanging fruit, uh, the things that I do on a quote unquote, normal basis, and can be quite effective for me. So there's other things, but I won't bore you with kind of everything I do. I'm sure at some point in this podcast, you'll hear a lot about kind of what I do, what Patrick does, and when, and all the beautiful things there. But I think it's uh, probably now time for us to turn over to the Q&A. What do you think, Patrick? Sure, let's go for it. All right. So uh, again, these questions do not come from Patrick or I. Uh, These come from our listeners and listeners like you guys. So I wanted to uh, first again, just remind everybody, if you are interested in submitting a question to us, we are going to post on social media to allow for you to write kind of your question to Patrick and I there. So you can, you know, go to, you know, at Hanu Health is going to be the predominant place where we'll post that. So follow us on Instagram at Hanu Health, H-A-N you health. Uh, so that's a great place to go. Um, and then also too, if you want to go to our website, obviously get signed up for our wait list, but go to 
hanuhealth.com slash podcast to submit your question. We've got four of them today. We'll kind of monitor time to see if we get through all four, uh, but let's jump on into them. I think these are some really good, just kind of like Kickstarter questions. So the first one is from Alexandra. She asks, I understand the benefits of nasal breathing, but there are a lot of people who say you should inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. So first, do you agree with that? And what would be the purpose of nasal breathing only? So I'll just first start and say, Patrick, that this is a really interesting question to me because when I was getting trained in heart rate variability biofeedback, like that was the notion, like you inhale through the nose and then you exhale through pursed lips out the mouth. Uh, And that was kind of like the, you know, this is kind of the industry standard. Like we found this to be the most effective means of breathing. Uh, And then the more and more I got to kind of learn about why we should breathe nasally and nasally only, I started to change my mind and started to realize too that the research was not definitive uh, on saying that you should exhale through the mouth. So uh, let me ask you this, you know, Patrick, do you agree that you should inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth? And then if not, like, why should we be nasal breathing only? I suppose if you're just doing an exercise and it's for a brief period of time and you want to breathe in through your nose and exhale with pursed lips, that's fine. Um, By exhaling with pursed lips, it's probably bringing more attention onto the breath you're feeling the breath as it's leaving the body. And also, you're generating a negative pressure so that when you're breathing out through pursed lips, and what I mean by that is that you're you're restricting the airflow that's going out of the mouth. And this in turn then is going to change the pressure of the air in the lungs. And this may help to, to open up the airways. So pursed lip breathing is often used for people with respiratory issues it's it's an interesting one. You know, nature doesn't do it. Uh, you never see a cow in a field breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. You don't see a horse do it. You don't see any animal do it. You don't see an infant do it. I don't think we did it, you know, throughout our evolution. I think it could be a common enough one where it originates in a very hot country such as India because we can get rid of heat from the body through the breath. Now, the only downside to that is you're going to get rid of moisture as well. There's a 42% greater water loss when you breathe out through the mouth. So I suppose, Jay, a short-term practice, why not? But it's not something that we should be doing or thinking about. The nose imposes a resistance to breathing that's two to three times that of the mouth. And the length of the exhalation should be about one and a half times the length of the inhalation during rest. So during rest, the inhalation is active and the exhalation is passive and allow the air to leave the body effortlessly. A very slow and relaxed exhalation, allowing the diaphragm to move back up to its resting position, and that would be pretty good. So whether you do it through the nose or mouth, personally, I'll do it through the nose. Um, You may do it through the mouth for a brief period of time. That's fine. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the the uh, I guess the uh, I guess theory behind why they told me you should do pursed lips, you know, when we were practicing biofeedback training is because again, like you kind of mentioned, it's it's kind of the mindfulness approach to the switch in breath, like if we're switching back and forth from nasal to mouth breathing and doing so through pursed lips, well, yes, we're resi- we're causing more resistance by doing pursed lips as to opposed to not, uh, which is good. Uh, but then also to because it slows us down, um 
uh, in our breathing. But also too, it's just like if we are having to conscientiously switch from nasal to mouth breathing, then we're going to be much more mindful to stick with our breath as opposed to maybe allow our mind to wander or kind of move away from our practice. So I see merit in that. However, what I have noticed anecdotally, both for myself and working with clientele, is that if you do nasal breathing only, I think it's because of the mass resistance um, that you experience out of the nasal pathway as opposed to the mouth, that, that that pooling of CO2 that you get can enhance the stress resiliency effects. Um, and, and again, maybe I'll you know punt this one to you, Patrick. It seems like too that you would think that if you're having a, a more increased pooling of CO2 because of the resistance out of the nose, that that's going to increase the efficacy of the of the bore effect. Am I right on that or am I off base? Yeah, no, it's a, like carbon dioxide is, is going to be, if you have a nice relaxed and prolonged exhalation, carbon dioxide is going to be increasing in the blood. You'll kind of know it if you feel a little bit of air hunger, especially towards the end of the exhalation. And um, the, in- the increased carbon dioxide, it lowers blood pH and hemoglobin, which is the main carrier of oxygen, will release oxygen more readily. And it's probably this that's also playing a role in stimulating the vagus nerve. So that added kind of um, response in terms of bringing the body into into balance. So, yeah, it's, I suppose one thing I forgot to mention earlier on, Jay, was that if you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, you lose heat and moisture from the breath. And the loss of heat and moisture by exhaling out through your mouth will cause your nose to be more stuffy. So if somebody, say, for example, has rhinitis or if they have hay fever and if they want to open up their nose, the best way to help keep your nose decongested is to use it and to breathe both in and out through your nose, not to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Because if you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, your nose is more liable to be stuffy. And if your nose is more liable to be stuffy, then you're more likely to mouth breathe, but also mouth breathing during sleep big big problem in terms of a lighter sleep and increased risk of sleep disorders yeah i I think one of the takeaway points uh, from this question which great question alexandra is i I like this idea of like they're being able to us being able to acutely or transiently change our practice to exhale through the mouth but the problem is is that there's not a lot of increased if any i don't think there isn't any increased benefit uh it may be potentially excuse me to our detriment and here's what i here's kind of my thoughts on it is that i kind of see every breath work focused breath work practice that I'm doing um, as being a means of conditioning my informal practice or my everyday kind of like unfocused practice where my body is just kind of doing what it is being conditioned or trained to do. So the more I train my practice conscientiously to breathe in through my nose and out through my nose, the more often I'm going to have that response occur when I'm not consciously thinking about it. So again, it's not to say that you're going to wreck you know, your nervous system, you're going to wreck your conditioned response if you you know engage in some exhalations through pursed lips through the mouth the problem though is is i think that if you want to optimize your chances of conditioning the response of nasal breathing inhale and exhale then it's probably just best to do it kind of as your mainstay practice so that's that's kind of my thought on it you know i think that there are two uh some arguments for what you said of uh of of vagal modulation um uh, because of the pooling of co2 um we know this um, 
uh, but also too vagal modulation uh, from nasal breathing in and of itself. Uh, one of the things too that we haven't hit on is kind of the increase in nitric oxide through the inhalation of, of the nose. And so I'm wondering, Patrick, if you could kind of just speak to the benefits of nasal breathing from a nitric oxide standpoint um, uh, and a nervous system or stress res, uh, resiliency standpoint, because I think a lot of people actually overlook that we can increase nitric oxide in the body through nasal breathing. Yeah, it's a very important gas. First identified in the human breath in 1991. So not really, you know, it's, I suppose it's still in its infancy yet. Um, it's very pertinent nowadays with COVID because nitric oxide is antiviral, it's antibacterial. And uh, by breathing through the nose, it could help to reduce viral load. And it, it's really the first, it's, it's part of the immune system. And it's the first, breathing through the nose is the first defense of the, of the body as air is entering into the lungs. The mouth is pretty much no defense. Nitric oxide is redistributing blood throughout the lungs. Nitric oxide is a bronchodilator. Nitric oxide is a vasodilator. It's opening up the blood vessels in the lungs for better gas exchange to take place. So it may be because of the actions of nitric oxide that the pressure of oxygen in the blood is 10% higher with nose breathing versus mouth breathing. Um, you know, there was a study as well of a product called Sanotize, and I, I don't know anything about the company. And uh, clinical trials looking at it for the efficacy of COVID, and it showed that it shortened the duration of the symptoms, etc. So the potential of nitric oxide as a gas to help with this condition is enormous. And I would point out people with long COVID. I was working with a few people last night with long COVID. It's a dreadful condition. Breath hold time. In the main, these people were really, really short of breath, labored breathing. They'd actually be a low breath hold time, even though studies by Messino show that breath hold time can be much longer. Um, terrible condition. And giving them small breath hold exercise, but you spoke about earlier on, you know, that breathe in and breathe out and hold the breath. Now, I only had I only had them hold their breath for two seconds because if I had them hold their breath for beyond two seconds, it would result in labored breathing. So that's where, where they are at. And females predominantly, for some reason, young females, um, not typically the characterization that we feel, you know, people with different health conditions. These were young, healthy, fit females before long COVID. So when people kind of tell me that long COVID doesn't exist, well, unfortunately, we are seeing it. And uh, from a breathing perspective, I think nitric oxide has a good application here, even though nobody's been talking about it. Right. No, that's, yeah, it's super interesting. I, I, I've only met a few individuals who have long haul COVID and, and you're right. It's, it's, it's atrocious. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine living with that. And as somebody who did get COVID-19 uh, back earlier this year, that would have been back in February. Uh, you know, it was one of my biggest fears to be honest with you. Um, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't super nervous about kind of the acute kind of transient symptoms I was experiencing. Like, obviously I didn't want to go to the hospital, but you know, I, I, I wasn't as nervous about that. It was like when I lost my taste, you know, I had, you know, difficulty, more difficulty with breathing um, that I was like, oh my goodness, if this sticks around, you know, forever or for at least a long time, you know, you conceptualize forever as humans because, you know, our, our, our minds like to go to the deepest, darkest places sometimes. Um, it would be, you know, really nerve wracking. But honestly, I attribute, you know, my experience of kind of, I would say, minimal symptoms comparatively to others, especially respiratory symptoms uh, from being kind of all the practice and work that I've done 
both on nasal breathing and then just training uh, my lungs, training my diaphragm, uh, training my nervous system as well to handle the high level of stress. Um, and, and again, it's it's one of those things I'm very you know grateful for. I'm very thankful for. But man, I couldn't even imagine you know kind of the the long haul symptoms. So yeah, if you have those, uh, this very interesting uh, to to focus on. But yeah, great. Uh, I'm going to transition us now uh, from question one. Thanks, Alexandra. That was awesome. To our second question, which comes from Dom. Dom asks, I commit to engaging in sauna sessions three to four times a week. It gets quite boring in the sauna. So I was thinking about engaging in a breathwork practice. I'm assuming when he's saying like he's in the sauna, is that okay? Or are there downsides? I assume that breath holding is probably not a good idea in the sauna. So I'm going to give up a little bit of preliminary thoughts and ideas just because I, I do actually commit to three to four times a week in the sauna and enjoy it. I do about 20 to 25 minutes each time. Uh, I, I sit in a dry sauna, uh, which gets, you know, anywhere from about 200 degrees, 210 degrees max. Um, that's Fahrenheit. Uh, and, uh, and I do have a breathwork practice that I engage in when I'm in the sauna. Uh, and so I, I thought that this was a great question because I was like, oh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about what what I do. And then I was very interested, Patrick, into, into hearing about, you know, what you think, if there are any downsides, uh, because again, I practice this and I, and I, and I want you to tell me if I'm doing something incorrect as well. Uh, but no, I, I love my sauna practice. And the reason is being is because I, I am also someone who like, I don't want to just sit there and kind of like think, and it's not to say sitting and thinking is a bad thing, but I just like to be kind of like killing more birds with one stone if I can. So I'll do like journaling when I'm in the sauna, I have one of those right in the rain journals, which is like an all weather, like universal journal that you can get, you know, sweat and water on and will sustain or sustain from heat, like really high conditions. So I'll journal. And then I'll also do anywhere from about five to 10 minutes of focused breath work practices. Um, you know, they asked about breath holding. He said, he said, I assume breath holding is probably not a good idea in the sauna. Uh, I have never done breath holds in the sauna and I can't imagine that's a good idea, but tell me what you think, Patrick, is that okay? Are there downsides to breath work in the sauna? Is it a good idea? And, and what about breath holds in the sauna? I suppose breath holds, you could be holding your breath for five seconds or you could hold your breath for a minute. Um, so it really depends. Do you hold your breath on the inhalation or do you exhale and hold your breath? Uh, interesting, the, the term heat and heat and increased carbon dioxide, both are going to cause a right shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. And basically what this means is that hemoglobin is the main carrier of oxygen in the blood. So 98 0.5% of your oxygen is carried bound by hemoglobin, which is a protein within the red blood cells. And a catalyst for hemoglobin to release oxygen is increased temperature and increased carbon dioxide and drop to blood pH. So in the sauna, you've got that in a sauna, you've got a combined approach. If you're doing breath exercises with the intention of reducing breathing volume, either by holding the breath or by slowing down and breathing light, to take less air into your body. I would have a pulse oximeter in there. Now, I understand that moisture and pulse oximetry mightn't go together. I've used it with um, hot yoga because I was kind of intrigued just the basics of hot yoga. And you will see in a hot yoga studio that your blood oxygen saturation will drop down to about 93%. Now, this could be cause for concern for somebody who wouldn't necessarily be thinking about it but it's never a cause for concern if you're inside in a hot environment or you're doing breath holding. Naturally, when you have an increased temperature 
and hemoglobin is releasing oxygen more readily, it's going to show a slight drop to your SpO2, which is your fraction of your hemoglobin occupied by oxygen. The only reason that your oxygen drops is because your hemoglobin is releasing oxygen to the tissues and organs. So it's a good thing. The increased carbon dioxide as a result of doing reduced volume breathing. So what you could do is taking a very soft and light gentle breath in through your nose for maybe three or four seconds, totally silent, almost breathing imperceptibly for three or four seconds and a really relaxed and a slow and gentle exhalation maybe for five or six seconds and having it to the point that you feel air hunger which tells you that your carbon dioxide has increased a little in the blood and the body is very sensitive to an increase of carbon dioxide so that's why you feel the air hunger but knowing that when you're doing the practice that your your hemoglobin is releasing oxygen more readily to where it's needed so it could be a good practice for improving body oxygenation now I don't see a downfall to it. Of course, you don't want to be holding your breath to the extreme. I wouldn't be doing hyperventilation along breath holes because the hyperventilation is going to get rid of too much carbon dioxide. Then you can hold your breath for a long, long time because you don't feel the alarm to breathe and the risk of passing out would be possible. And absolutely, you don't want to pass out in a sauna. Um, but gentle exercises, no problem whatsoever. Yeah, that no, that's great feedback. Um, and that's kind of very similar to the way that I've looked at it. Uh, and, and, and again, like, I also look at it in this way, too. Like, the reason that you are engaging in a sauna session, or at least most people nowadays, uh, is because of the longevity effects of hormesis. So hormesis being kind of the stress to our bodies that can improve resiliency to stress and build the body in a stronger, more adaptive way. So what is kind of the predominant way that we see hormesis working out it's exercise and so actually sauna has been shown to demonstrate a very similar physiological effect to engaging in exercise and i think the combo of exercise plus sauna and then maybe even too cold exposure which we're not necessarily going to get into today can be quite effective in becoming more adaptive to the effects physiologically and psychologically of stress and so i kind of actually view it this way so i love the physiological effects that you mentioned just now and i love that there is some uh, even more, uh, I, I guess we could say amplified of effects of breath work within a sauna practice, but also too, a lot of people like will say like I get in the sauna and like my mind starts going and all I can focus on is like the pain. Like it's so difficult sometimes to just like sit there and sweat and be in the pain. And I have found that when I engage in a breathwork practice, because of all of what's happening to my physiology, like, again, I start to embrace a lot more of the pain in a much more resilient way. So my breathwork practice within the sauna actually makes it feel like it's less stressful on the body because I'm engaging in something that's allowing my nervous system uh, to slow down and to relax within the effects of the high intensity or, or, or uh, of the significance of stress that I'm engaging in when I'm in the sauna. So I think it's a really great way of kind of com uh, combining both the hormesis of sauna, you know, increasing sirtuin activity, increasing heat shot proteins, like increasing the anti-aging effects of the sauna alongside with actually like helping to engage the nervous system to become uh, more adaptive to what it's experiencing. So I think that's a lot of great effects. And I would agree with you too, like the last place that you want to pass out, especially if you're alone, is in the sauna. So for me, I I've never 
haven't even done short breath holds. Like again, like you said, like there's there's probably you know some ability to do that or merit to do that depending on the person. But for me, I've just kind of stayed away from it just because I am I'm nervous about like passing out in the sauna and then like somebody finding me like way too late and I've experienced a, a little bit too much stress because I've passed out in the sauna. So you just got to be careful, know thyself, uh, take it easy. Uh, but again, like if you want to kill two birds with one stone, sauna session plus a breathwork practice. Think that there's a lot of upside to that. Any, any other thoughts there, Patrick? Or we're going to move on to the next one. No, I'd, I would agree with you. I think it's it's yeah, go very very gentle. Um, nothing to the extreme. Yeah, indeed. All right, thanks, Dom. All right, next question, which may end up being our last uh, because we don't want to go too too far over time. But we'll see kind of uh, after we answer you know this one because there might be a little bit more explanation that that need be had on this question. Cindy asks, my body oxygen level test is really bad. I am typically only getting about 12 or 13 seconds until I feel contractions in my throat. I'm just getting into focused breathing, but is there something I'm missing or should be focusing on first? What is the best way for me to increase my bolt score? So a lot of things we probably need to unpack here for the listener who doesn't understand what bolt score is or, you know, body oxygen level test. So, you know, this is someone, Cindy, who's saying like, I've tested my bolt score, which Patrick, I'll, I'll let you, you know, explain. I've tested my bolt score. It's really not that great, or at least she perceives it's not that great at 12 or 13 seconds. Um, she's really just getting started into this. Like what should she be focusing on? Like what should be, she be like working on? And then how can she increase that score? So I know that this is a very, you know, wide open question and we could take it a lot of different ways, but Patrick, why don't you first just explain to us what the body oxygen level test is, um, how you derive that and then kind of how can we help Cindy? Sure, Jay. Um, body oxygen level test is simply the length of time that you can hold your breath for comfortably after an exhalation. So if you want to measure it, you take a normal breath in and out through your nose and pinch your nose with your fingers to stop breathing and time it. How long does it take until you feel the first involuntary movement of the diaphragm? In other words, you might feel a jerk of your diaphragm or you might feel a constriction in the throat because your, your diaphragm breathing muscle is mechanically linked with the upper airway dilator muscles in the throat. And when you resume breathing, your, your breath should be fairly normal. So it's a comfortable breath hold time following an exhalation. Now, what does it mean? Well, if you have a low breath hold time, you typically have increased breathlessness during physical exercise. So if we're working with athletes, we would measure their boat score and if they have a low breath hold time, we know that their breathing is holding them back. Their breathing can be for any person. A low breath hold time is going to translate into faster breathing, harder breathing. Um, they often feel air hunger. They're the people last night, for example, I had three people and their breath hold time was four seconds. Four seconds. And, you know, one was, um, two actually had long COVID. One was very, very severe asthmatic. And going through the very gentle breathing exercises, working to improve their bolt score. So for Cindy, it's really, you know, a 12 to 13 second bolt score. I would be doing breathe light primarily. Physical exercise can be a problem because what can happen is that your breathing can get too hard and too fast for your given level of physical exercise. In other words, you know, we as human beings, there's a certain volume of air that we need to breathe. And we need to match our breathing volume to our metabolic needs. 
but if we have a low ball score we can have a habit of breathing too much air now i know that some people might say well what's wrong with breathing too much air there's a lot wrong with it and the problem is that if you're breathing too much air you get rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs and as a result your blood circulation is impaired or narrowed your oxygen delivery is is affected your airways can be affected but also you can have increased sympathetic arousal because you're in that slightly faster breathing and harder breathing so your sleep your state of mind your physical exercise can be impacted now your ball score is influenced by a number of things so maybe if somebody has asthma or if they had child as- childhood asthma that can affect their ball score if there's any inflammation in your lungs your ball score is affected there's a cognitive effect to it as well you know if people are holding their breath and they're feeling the air hunger and if they have kind of an experience of trauma in their past or childhood separation or for example uh, any predisposition towards panic disorder that can affect their bolt score so working to increase it what we do is we deliberately have the person breathe less air and this could be just you're sitting down in a comfortable chair you take your attention out of your mind and onto your breathing and you really slow down the speed of the breath coming into your nose And then you have a really relaxed and a slow and a gentle exhalation. And the purpose is to breathe about 30% less air into the body to the point that you feel air hunger. Now, I'd encourage everybody to give it a go because this was the one thing that drove it home to me. I remember 25 years ago practicing this and I was able to improve the temperature of my fingers. I always had cold hands and cold feet. I had brain fog and I never realized that by breathing less, it impacted my circulation and then the more you practice gently slowing down your breathing and breathing a little bit less air and this is it's not about breathing like this all day long you know 10 minutes before you go to bed that's what I did last night watching I was just watching some light tv I had <clears throat> my leaf <clears throat> heart rate tracker on me and I was practicing a combination of slow breathing with light breathing 10 minutes great way to down regulate you know, if if you have 10 minutes following your lunch break, you're feeling might maybe a little bit sluggish after food, close your eyes, bring your attention inwards, breathe less air. It's great for conservation of energy. But more importantly, it helps to improve your bolt score because when you breathe light, this then becomes your pattern of breathing. Because bear in mind, people who have harder breathing and faster breathing, it's not a great sign of health. You know, if somebody comes into your room, or you see a, a staff member, and I often see it, you know, with with people when they get stressed and they start sighing more, and they have irregular breathing, and straight off, you know, you're you're wondering, here's a person who is reacting physiologically. They're getting stressed to a situation, and the situation could be minor. We shouldn't be getting stressed to the minor situations, and this is where our breathing can be very important because. If you're an employee working in the corporate place and you're there in the office and you're sighing and you have a regular breathing, you have to ask the question, how are other people interpreting that? And unconsciously, other people can be interpreting this, that you're a little bit maybe highly strong or that you're not comfortable in your situation. You're not able to deal with the situation and that could be marked against you. Always bear in mind, you know, your breathing, if you're displaying your breathing so outright, people can pick up on that breathing pattern. And I think intuitively most people realize that when somebody is sighing more, that 
you know, they're feeling a little bit anxious or panic, don't show that to your colleagues. Definitely don't go into a job interview and be sighing in front of the, the, the examiners or the, the interview board because they're not going to reflect lightly on that. Hide your physiology too. You know, don't, don't, uh, if you're feeling a little bit stressed, tap into your breathing and slow down the exhalation out through the nose. Um, so yeah, so coming back to Cindy, why would the bolt score be so low? Stress, I think, is a big one with human beings, especially adults. Um, talking, as you pointed out earlier on, Jay, talking is tiring. And especially because it can involve faster breathing and harder breathing. And people who talk for a living, they probably know that they are tired at the end of the day. They may not have put it down to the breathing, but it could be the breath that's the issue here. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all the statements there. And you know, it's one of the things too, like I want Cindy to realize, and this is something that I deal with in the heart rate variability world is that people get locked in on these numbers like, oh, like the 12 or 13 seconds, like that's, you know, considered, she considers it bad. She said it's really bad. And I think that that's probably not a great frame to start. Just like when I have people who email me and they're like, you know, my heart rate variability is really bad. And I'm like, well, what does that actually mean? Um, And then do you think that that sets you into a position where you can't change? Like, no, like it may be lower than what you want and you may perceive it as being quote unquote bad, but it just means that we have a starting place and now we can work with it. And I like your focus on, you know, the, the, the breathe light to breathe right exercise. Again, you should pick up the oxygen advantage uh, book. If you have not that Patrick wrote that uh, does a couple things. Number one, it highlights how to engage in kind of finding your bolt score and then how to improve it through different exercises. One of them being the breathe light to breathe right exercise. And, and I like this idea because for me, like when I do breathe light exercising, I do not focus on necessarily the cadence of breathing. Um, like I don't have it paced or timed. I just really focus on kind of centering myself into my breath work practice and really focus on just slowing it down. And like, I love one of the, the examples that you always use, Patrick, is that when we're inhaling and exhaling, we do it number one, quietly, uh, we do it deep and we do it low. And then also too, uh, we breathe so slow as to not move the, the nostril hairs in our nasal pathway. And I like that imagery because I, I use it still all the time, even though I've been practicing for, for quite some time now. And one of the great things too is yes, you can use, you know, body oxygen level tests, the bolt score as a good proxy. Another good thing for training too, if you just want to visualize it is very similar to what you mentioned of, of what you did last night is you put a heart rate variability device on and you watch the changes in heart rate variability. You may not notice significant changes initially, but you'll see them the more and more you practice and the more and more you become adaptive to what's going on kind of within your nervous nervous system. So I, I, I love that, but there's definitely ways to increase that bolt score, but I think it just takes conscientious time and practice and just an effort to, to, to kind of make those changes on a daily basis. So great question, Cindy. Um, I'm sure that we'll talk about the body oxygen level test or the bolt score, uh, plenty throughout our time here. Uh, but that's a, that's a really good focused question. So we had another question, but I think for the sake of time, um, just so that we don't go too, too long on our first podcast, I'll save the question number four. So sorry, Jonathan, um, you asked us a question about muscular tension. We'll talk about that maybe in the next podcast. Um, So I'm going to wrap up the questions for us uh, today. Great work um, today, Patrick, and just providing some really good answers to these questions. And again, thank you all for submitting these questions to us. Like, I think that this is going to be a huge benefit on this podcast is just to be able to 
talk through, provide practical suggestions uh, for all the questions. Um, so again, you can head on over to hanuhealth.com slash podcast in order to submit your question. Uh, and, uh, and maybe you'll get you know a response on air. And again, help yourself, help other people. So I'm going to wrap us up today, uh, Patrick. It's been a blast, you know, having this Q and A with you again. I think this is going to be just invaluable to people. Uh, I just want to again um, remind everybody, like, if you're interested in learning more about Hanu Health and what we have coming out in the health technology realm, go and visit HanuHealth.com/waitlist. Get your name on there. You'll get our newsletter. Uh, you'll hear all about our incentives, promotions, updates. Um, you're not going to want to miss it. Like, we have something revolutionary coming out to market that you guys are going to want if you're interested in breath work, heart rate variability, stress resiliency training. Like It is going to be something that you are going to want to know about. So hanuhealth.com slash waitlist. Also, follow us on Instagram. We have at Hanu Health is our handle. Um, also, Patrick's uh, handles are at Oxygen Advantage. Again, that's at Oxygen Advantage. And then at Buteco Clinic. We'll put all these in the show notes. Again, HanuHealth.com slash one. And then mine personally is at Dr. J. Wiles. You can find us on Instagram. Lastly, I'll wrap us up with saying that one of the fun things that we're going to have on these Q&A podcasts, uh, we don't have it this time because you don't know about this giveaway, uh, hint, hint, uh, we're going to actually give away a gift package uh, for five-star reviews that we read on air. So how do you do this? You'll head on over to iTunes. So get on your phone, go to iTunes, and then write us a five-star review. You can't just give us five stars. You have to actually write us a review because if we read your review on air, we're going to send you a fun gift package with a water bottle, some stickers, and some other goodies. Um, It's a nice water bottle too, an aluminum one with our logo on it. So again, just a five-star review. We read it on air. And then also too, like, yeah, you get a gift package, but it also helps us to uh, really grow this podcast, increases the algorithm on who finds us on iTunes. And so if you do that, we read it on air, then we will send you that fun gift package. Um, you'll just have to email us at podcast at hanuhealth.com. That's podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and address if we read it on air, and we'll send you out some fun goodies. Well, again, Patrick, it's been a blast, my friend. Uh, looking forward to more of these. Uh, thanks again, man, for coming coming on and answering some fun questions. My pleasure. It was great. Thanks very much, Jay. Yeah, indeed. All right, everybody. Until next time, take care. Uh, and again, we'll, we uh, hope to give you some more great content. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less.